Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, former President John Dramani Mahama launches his flag bearership bid in the Volta Regional Capital Hall with a reiteration that he will see to the scrapping of S. Gracia if elected as president. Also coming up, Majority Leader and Parliamentary Affairs Minister Osei Chairman Sabonso allays the fears of minority MPs that the use of the Ghana card as a sole source document for registering by the Electoral Commission will not disenfranchise Ghanaians. And later on Eyewitness News, the court decision on a position taken by the Ghana Institute of Journalism to terminate the appointment of his rector, Dr. Wilber Fosefa Kojisa, that has landed eggs in the face of the administration. The court has fined the school plus asked for all compensations to be paid the former rector of the school. Stay with 97.3 CTF for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Ghana's agricultural sector to receive a $700 million boost from the Development Bank Ghana to enhance growth of the industry. That's in 15 minutes from the business desk of CTFM and CDTV. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations. Indeed, wherever you are in the country, you get to listen to Eyewitness News because we have several affiliate stations, including um, in the Savannah region on Kasha, 99.5 FM in Damongo, Holy FM 98.5 in Aflau, Sela Radio 97.1 in Dabala. In the Ashanti region on Focus 94.3 FM on KNUST campus, Orange FM 107.9 in Komasi. We are on Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi and Sky Power 93.5 FM, both of them in Takradi in the western region. In the northern region, we are on North Star Radio 92.1 FM in Tamale in the northeast region, on Nobia FM 98.1 FM in Nalerigu, in the Upper East Region on Rekas 92.1 FM in Bongo Nambu. And if you go to the Upper West Region, we're on Tumpani Radio 88.5 FM in Nadoli and Jirapa FM 96.1. Let me know what you make of the big stories we are bringing you by dropping your messages on 0549-986-996. Send your messages there. We'll hear them. We'll read them for the world to know. What do you think? We're also live on YouTube, we're live on Facebook, and we're live on citynewsroom.com. Let's kickstart with John Dramani Mahama's campaign launch. Nashika. Former President John Dramani Mahama says he will scrap the payment of ex gratia to Article 71 public office holders when elected into office. Article 71 office holders include the President, the Vice President, the Speaker of Parliament, the Chief Justice and Justices of the Supreme Court, Members of Parliament and others. The former President says the move is to ease the burden on the public purse to ensure judicious use of public funds. He spoke at the launch of his campaign to the lead. The NDC as its flag bearer at the University of Health and Allied Sciences in Ho in the Volta region. 
most efficient government under the history of our Fourth Republic. We'll reduce significantly the size of government. And as announced in my speech at the UPSA late last year, in a crisis situation like this, it is my belief that this country can be governed efficiently with 60 ministers and deputy ministers. We will initiate and undertake the most far-reaching constitutional, political, and governance reforms under the Fourth Republic, which will be aimed at restoring confidence in our democracy and governance systems while making life easier and better for the people of Ghana. In response to the concerns and calls from many of you, we will initiate and undertake the most far-reaching constitutional, political, and governance reforms that will restore confidence in our democracy. We'll continue and bring to con conclusion the constitutional review process that was begun by the late President Atamils, which will include a review of the controversial Article 71 to reduce the number of office holders under Article 71 and reduce the disparities in privileges and monuments vis-a-vis the public sector and civil service. The payments of ex gratia to members of the executive under Article 71 will be scrapped. And the necessary constitutional steps to abolish that payment will start in earnest in 2025. We will also begin the process of persuading the other arms of government other than the executive to accept the removal of these ex gratia payments. Issues pertaining to the ex excessive powers of the president proper separation of powers, strengthening of parliament, restoring the independence of the judiciary, independent and quasi-independent state institutions, and depoliticizing them will take center stage of the new administration. The former president also chided the ruling NPP government for running the economy aground and failing to take responsibility for the current economic situation. Who would have thought that Ghana will come to a juncture like this, where a government would mete out such shabby treatment to our senior citizens, whose only crime is that they put their life savings in what is considered the safest financial instrument in the world, government bonds. We are this most depressing phase in our history where our economy has been destroyed because of the systematic mismanagement misguided and clueless policy choices and the incompetence of President Nana Akufuado and his Vice President Mahmoudou Baumia. While our people struggle to keep their heads above water, government officials continue to exhibit high levels of greed, corruption, arrogance of power, dishonesty, blatant state capture and conflict of interest. Unsurprisingly, no one in this MPP government wants to take responsibility for anything, including their flag bearer hopefuls, most of whom were part of the economic management team, the team that was called the solid team. Today, everybody is running from taking responsibility. They continue to lay blame for their disastrous economic management on external factors, 
whose relationship with our present sorry circumstances are at most tenuous. We all know that this economic collapse has been years in the making, just as we know it was entirely avoidable. Amid all the suffering, government remains obstinate and refuses to back down from the costly missteps that led us here in the first place. They continue to waste the precious little we have on dodgy and misguided projects and programs and on a bloated government. As they tighten the news on the helpless citizens by piling on more taxes and expropriating our money through measures like the domestic debt exchange, government offers no semblance of genuine sacrifice on its part. The national decay of the last six years has not been limited to the economy. It extends to all aspects of our lives. Our hitherto trusted state institutions today stand as pale shadows of themselves, undermined and politicized to the extent that they consider themselves as an extension of the governing new patriotic party. The youth of our country, the young people, male and female, see no future in the country of their birth. They see no silver lining at the edge of the clouds, which often appears only dark and gloomy, with no ray of sunshine seeping through. And who's to blame them when after years of struggling to earn an education, they are condemned to unemployment and acute lack of opportunities in their own country? If not remedied, through our agenda to build the Ghana we want together from 2025, some of our young graduates and postgraduate degree holders may hit the pension age and never find employment in their entire lives except for national service. It should worry us deeply that the average young Ghanaian would grasp any opportunity to flee the despondent climate under which we currently live in favor of even the most menial jobs in other countries. We've always had a tradition of our people going out in search of greener pastures abroad. But the current mass exodus of active workers and professionals is profoundly worrying. The loss of all hope that anything good can come out of this country or that any available opportunities will be equitably shared amongst our people is what accounts for this. For some sections of our population, the unraveling of our national fabric and the collapse of our economy under this government form sufficient basis to dismiss all public office holders and politicians, both in government and out of government, as being the same. Some have lost all hope in the democratic process and believe that democracy is no better than other forms of governance. Mr. Mahama added that the next NDC government will introduce the selection of schools for BC candidates after results have been released. With renewed vigor, we will work to restore confidence in all institutions of state so that our people will see their institutions working for them as they should with utmost professionalism and non-interference from political actors. We must, for instance, end the chaos that now characterizes the computerized school selection and placement system for BEC graduates. As a first step 
to resolve this issue with the computerized placement. We should allow students to only complete their applications for SHS after they have received their BEC results. This will put them in a better position to know what their actual grades are and make them able to match them with the cutoff grades and raw scores of the senior high schools they wish to be admitted to. This will moderate expectation, ensure effective demand based on real results, and address the uninformed demands we currently see. It will also root out corruption and blatant discrimination from the school placement process. That was former President John Jamani Mahama. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM is his verdict on the economy. And it's justified, isn't it? Richard Ahyakba is Director of Communications of the New Patriotic Party. Uh, Richard, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, it is the campaign launch of former President John Romani Mahama, but you could also call it the manifesto launch and the campaign launch of the NDC because most NDC people describe him as their presumptive uh, flag bearer. So if he wins, these are the issues that would be the subject of the campaign, that you have chewed the economy to the bone and that the youth of the country are running out in droves. It's a verdict on your governance and the state of the economy. Um, are you ready to, to, to meet him if he emerged the, the flag bearer in 2024? Well, there's so much that was said, but you could summarize everything he said in just one word. Uh, more of the same old stuff that didn't work before. Um, the whole program was flat. There was no enthusiasm. He didn't say anything new. He just rehashed and put new words together. There isn't any vision you saw there. If anything at all, there was a lot of plagiarism that was at, uh, at, um, part of his speech. Uh, so I didn't see any hope. Um, misinformation. Uh, rehashing of failed promises. There's very little there to talk about. I see. Plagiarism. Who, who, who or what did he plagiarize? Uh, you saw that, uh, I think it was your program, on your platform sometime, uh, two weeks ago or so, I think February 19th uh, or so. I think I heard uh, Mr. Kofiasai talk about uh, uh, potentially remedying the challenges we have with uh, uh, the school placement uh, to have the student the students make their choices or the pupils make their choices after they receive their results and he said that that's what he thinks uh, the problem should be approached and addressed the former president repeated that on his uh, campaign lunch today without giving credit to the individual that's a clear plagiarized position there uh, his main campaign theme, he talks about building the Ghana we want. If we go to the African Union's uh, 2063 agenda, they said building uh, the Africa we want. He just took the Africa there and put Ghana. Uh, we have a similar campaign we're running. It's just, just plagiarizing all over the place without giving credit. But what is more egregious is the Kofia Starry thing. Uh, you guys have published it on your website and attributed it to Kofi Asari of uh, uh, Africa Education Watch. He just said it plainly as though it was his original idea and, and without credit. And so, and then also talks about we have mismanaged the economy. 
uh, Umaru, uh, last week, Wednesday, we had a press conference and we went through the numbers. Uh, former President Mahama inherited a growing economy at 7.3%. He supervised a three consecutive year of decline. He's never grown our economy except declining. That's his record. So, 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 so are, you, are, you, are you done with the issue of plagiarism? Because you've, you've, I don't want you to pack the oh, thing yeah. together. So you're done with, but are you oh, sure, yeah, are you, are you sure, uh, Richard Ahiangba, coming from the New Patriotic Party, you, no, no, I'm, yeah. I'm just asking, if you are sure you have clean hands when it comes to issues well, relating to plagiarism, can you really talk plagiarism. about plagiarism? Are you sure? Do you remember the inaugural address of 7 January 2017? Omar, you are, you are making an entirely different point. I'm just telling you someone has plagiarized. What has that got to do with me? I'm you just know, asking if you have clean hands in this this, this, me, this kind of issues. About, I have not plagiarized myself. I'm just telling you that he stood in, in the stage this afternoon and plagiarized. And by the way, if you're going to ask me that question, you should ask them. If they knew they can also plagiarize or they have the capacity to plagiarize, why were they pointing fingers at anybody? Oh, they pointed figures. So you should be asking me that question. You should prove that he did or he didn't. And I'm giving you evidence. If you want, I'll send you the link. Okay. Tomorrow. So no, the so, next so, issue. No. So the next issue. No. Just, just, just. It's okay. I, I mean, I was just. I, I'm. I don't know if you didn't get the drift. I was, but I'll leave it at that. Oh um, no, I got it, but I just wanted to be clear. Oh, he okay. Himself, and let's not move away from it and cite other instances. May 11, 2015, City News, mm -hmm. CityFMOnline.com. A story titled Don't Scrap Emoluments for Article 71 Office Holders, Kojo Mpeni. The story, first paragraph, second paragraph, third paragraph, fourth paragraph, fifth paragraph, and the seventh, sixth paragraph, and then the seventh paragraph says, Over the years, there have been calls for a drastic reduction in the emolument of Article 71 Office Holders. The eighth paragraph says, Parliament was in 2012 tasked to review the salaries and emoluments approved. The ninth paragraph says, last week, this is 2015, last week, President Mahama called on organized labor to support government's decision to abolish emoluments for Article 71 office holders. He explained that the state can no longer continue to pay the current salaries for these office holders due to the pressure on the public purse. That is what he said in 2015 May. Kofi Asari, you said, said this a week or so ago. Do you want to withdraw that part of the allegation of plagiarism against former President Mama? No, I don't understand what you what, what did you just read? I thought you were reading entirely something different. I'm talking about something you published on your website, uh, I think February 19, 20, uh, just uh, two weeks ago. I'm just saying that you said former President Mahama plagiarized the issue of uh, the, 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 the issue relating to... Um, the what he said today, he plagiarized Kofi Asari. I'm just saying that he said something about emoluments, or you are referring differently to the no, issue of BC the placement, placement. I did, I did, yeah, to, to the school placement. placement. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't talk about uh emolument at all, so that's why I'm listening. I thought you're, you're making a new point, okay, that's fine. You know, yeah, no, no, I didn't talk about that. Th that's I'm fine. So you're relating speci where, specifically to where he talked about Kofi Asari. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm okay, so it becomes, it becomes, it becomes, so it becomes Kofi Asari's. Uh, views and ideas and so you're saying that if the president repeats it today the former president repeats it today he should have acknowledged him in, 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 you repeated it in total and i think that 
should have given him credit for it. Okay. And he didn't. He passed it on passage. And, 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 and the AU's Agenda 65, which is also leaving no person behind Africa we want, that one too, you think that he's, he, he coined it and then changed it into Ghana instead of the Africa we want? I'm, I'm just, I don't know why you are fixated on that. What I'm interested in is that on your website, and a gentleman brought an idea which I thought... No, no, I have, not, I have not denied it at all. I have not, I have no, not denied no, it. I'm just... So, I just, so, mm. so, so I'm, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. It's a fact, and then you can allow me to make the other point that I was going Now, to let's make. go to the other point. He said the youth of Ghana are running out of the country in droves. He said it used to happen, but now it has become worse. What do you say to that? That you're not able to... For a party that campaigned for agenda for jobs, you shouldn't be accused of failing to create jobs. So, so I'm trying to tell you about the record of former President John Damani Mahama. He who stands to accuse others, I'm telling you his record. He does not know anything about growing this economy. Under him, he had a chance to be president. He's not new, right? He was, he was uh, putting, uh, standing um, on uh, the, the performance of maybe the NDC government to make allegations about people not performing and not performing. I'm telling you that when he had a chance to be president, he never grew this economy one inch. He had a chance. He, oh, he declined this economy from 7.3, 4, 3.9, and 3.7 when he, when he left office. So he cannot talk about growing this economy. He cannot talk about people leaving this country because when he had the opportunity, he's not coming in as someone who's never been president before. He's been president. Under him, how many, what was the situation in this country? That's why, we, that's why we kicked him out. Remember, we with yes, one million yes, extra votes for you, very so that you well, can come yes. and not repeat his errors. Very good, very good. So now he wants to come again. So we have to let him know that we kick you out. You are no longer eligible to come here by your performance. Okay? Number two, you are talking about we uh, kicked him out and we have come. Omar, what is our record? 2017, when we came to office, we grew this economy that was in decline under him. In 2018, we grew this economy that was in decline under former President Marama. In 2019, we grew this economy that was in decline when former President Mahama was the president. He declined this economy three consecutive years. We grew this economy three consecutive years until COVID. So let's compare the history and the record. He has no standing in the allegation he's making. He's talking about managing this, uh, this economy with 60 ministers, uh, given the difficulties we are in. He's never managed an economy in a difficult time before. So, he's never managed an economy in COVID before. So he cannot but purport to say that he will do that. If so he, knowing his record, I'm just saying quite simply, knowing his record, he's not earned the right to speak the way he spoke today because everything he said is not true. And he, in mentioning about the Article 71, uh, S. Gracia cancellation and the rest, this is not the first time he said that. He said this before. He's never done it. He won't do it. So what is happening here is that he is trying to weaponize the pain in the country, the global economic hardship part of which that we are going through in Ghana. He's trying to weaponize that and ride on it, hopefully, to win elections. Okay. And we're saying that we will get to have a conversation in this country, Omaro, with your help, that will focus on the issues, on the record, on the deliverables, and see that if he has 
the capacity and the record to justify what he's saying. And we think he doesn't. Okay. Um, th that's, that's quite interesting. But if you say that all of these things were going well until COVID, and that's where your problem happened, the youth that former President Mahama says are running away are running to other countries that were equally affected by COVID. So how come that those countries got their economy, you know, properly laid out where people still would go to them even after in COVID? And yet in your country, there are people are running away because of COVID. Omar, I don't think are you are you really asking that question mm -hmm. to, to or just is just one of the no, no, one no. of your no okay. well, the, no it's a it's a question is, as to whether I don't, if you uh -huh. say that you were doing so well until COVID and well, then things went right, down right. and I'm saying that uh, the former president the issue is that the former president uh, says uh, you are not able to provide jobs so people are running away you said yeah, yeah no, you no, no. you did well with the economy until COVID. The people are running away to COVID countries. So why why are they not remaining in Ghana? Because COVID is a global oh, pandemic. Omaru, from the day I was born, people always them out of this country. Right? He he actually pointed that out so and I'm said saying, that it was is worse in your in your in your period. I'm coming to your point. People have always them out of this country. Myself, at the same point, I left this country to go to go educate myself, and I'm back. Right. When people go, they'll come back. The point I'm trying to make to you is that if he is making that uh, a basis to show that he has capacity to reverse it, I'm telling you his record, nothing in his record shows that he can. The point that you should, or I should make to you following that uh, statement he made is that one, there is no proof to substantiate what he said. He just said even. Number two, what is the proposition that he said on that platform to reverse what you are saying, this situation. He has actually listed a number of them. I could share with you, but I think he, what he said was live, and and we already have said. Uh -huh. it. But just just by way of giving you the no, the records, in terms of so no problem. In terms of GDP growth, I just want to mm -hmm. share some statistics um, from mm -hmm. 2013 when he was president. So it was yeah. seven seven point three percent in 2013. In 2014, right. it was two point eight. 2015, it was two point one. 2016, it was 3.3. 2017, right. it was 8.1. 2018, 2018, it was 6.2. 2019, yeah. it was 6.5. 2020, yeah. it was 0 0.5. 2021, it was 5.3. So that's just by way of statistics. I think we can leave the conversation here. No, no, Maru. Maru, not so fast. So what's your conclusion from the numbers you just mentioned? My listeners... <laughs> my listeners are listening you have made your yeah. position i've just given the statistics to support right. the conversation so the people who in are other, listening in other words in other words the statistics shows that he has no capacity that he claims he has to make this economy work the fpp is working on it and will fix it thank you no problem thank you so much that's richard Ahiak, but he's director of communications of the new patriotic party um i'll be hearing from the john mahama camp shortly after this please stay with us Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. Welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And the big story we are looking at tonight is the launch of the campaign of former President John Dramani Mahama. 
He did that in the Volta Regional Capital, who Felix Kwachiofosu served as a minister in his government, a deputy minister, that is, and he also speaks for the campaign. Mr. Kwachiofosu, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. I've played um, key excerpts of uh, the former president's speech. I was talking to Richard Ahiagba a short while ago. He says, you have been tried and tested and you have failed. There's nothing really new that you're going to bring to Ghanaians. There's no point wasting our time discussing you. How would you respond to that? Well, Richard Ahiagba and his MPP are the only waste of time here. Indeed, as I've said before, if a party is as useless as the MPP has been in power, and they have destroyed the Ghanaian economy and set our country back by decades, it does not lie in their mouth to even begin to question what proposals the opposition has to offer. As for the MPP, some rain or high water, they have to be booted out of power at the earliest opportunity on December 7, 2024, even if there is no opposition, because they have been a complete waste of everybody's time. They have been a veritable disaster. Their management of the economy has been nothing short of an economic atrocity, a tragedy, a catastrophe of unimaginable proportions. So they cannot even form part of the discourse of what our country should be like going forward beyond 2025. So I would promptly dismiss Ahiaba and his lying hordes in the MPP as completely irrelevant to the discussions we are having today. We in the NDC believe that because of the damage they have done to this country, we need to get our lawyers and take over the administration of this country and steer our affairs in a manner that gets us out of the mess and repositions us on the trajectory of growth and shared prosperity for all. So we say we want to build the Ghana we want together with the people of Ghana. And that, for me, is the focus of the discussion I want to have with you today. Now, this Ghana that we want, why didn't you deliver that Ghana to us prior to 2016? Why are you all of a sudden now telling us about a Ghana that we want? Well, I have a little problem with your question because it assumes that you can build a nation within a four year, a four or eight year cycle. Number two, before the NDP came to power in 2016, they had been in government before between 2001 and 2009. But I heard that also ask them why they didn't do all the things they said they would do between 2016 and 2024 when they were in power in 2001 and 2009. The point is that at every point, when the time comes for Ghanaians to choose leaders, they have to examine one, the first, the, examine one, the performance of the government of the people. Because invariably, every election is a referendum on the incumbent. If the incumbent has performed well, the opposition does not get a look in. Nobody will be interested in what the opposition sees if people are satisfied with the performance of the government. At this stage, you don't need a soothsayer. In fact, even the fetus in the mother's womb will tell you that the NDP has been a disaster. So there's no question about the fact that there is a need for change. Now, having determined that there's a need for change, Ghanaians will then cast their eyes on the political landscape and determine which party has the organizational capacity to replace this bungling, non-performing, actually useless government led by President Kufadu and Baumia. The party of choice is the National Democratic Congress. Now, we in the National Democratic Congress 
cannot take the people of Ghana for granted and assume that merely because President Kufuado and Alaji Baumia have been veritable disasters, automatically we should replace them. We have to convey the people of Ghana that we are prepared to do the thing that this government has failed to do and which has left them dissatisfied. And that is why today, President Mama officially announced his decision to put himself up for election as the flag bearer of the NDC going into the 2024 election. And what he did today was to signal an intent to do things differently from the way things have been done all this while in a manner that meets with the hopes and aspirations of the people of Ghana. All right. So the key things he, he has explained to us the type of Ghanaian who is needed to save Ghana moving forward. He has highlighted the challenges of the current situation we have in our country and says that he doesn't even want to take glory because he had said that he feels vindicated, but he doesn't feel good talking about vindication because he thinks no one needs that at this time. Is this campaign against the NPP or is it a campaign against his contenders. At, at, at no point did I notice him talk about other people in the competition. Even though I've heard him say that this is not the time to try. This is not some uh, time to uh, to go for someone who doesn't know the Jubilee House. Go for someone who already knows the Jubilee House who just moved there and continue with the race. Does it mean then that the former president does not recognize his competitors internally at all and that he's focused and interested in the MPP rather? You see, we are not in normal time. The times that we are in call for a clear vision at the very moment. The sum total of what is happening is that the NDC is electing somebody to lead the change that is so desperately needed by the people of Ghana. So anybody who wants to occupy that spot must come prepared and show that he has a plan and what it takes to execute the plan. So whilst we have respect for, the, for all the individuals who have also entered the list, Rama is clear in his mind that the end game, the objective, is to demonstrate to the people of Ghana that he has what it takes to lead them out of the mess that Akufuado and Baumia have teamed up to create. That is why, at the very onset, he has indicated what he is prepared to do to salvage the situation and lift us out of the gloom that we have been immersing all these years under the misrule of President Akufuado and his sidekick, Alaji Baumia. So, President Mama, even though he is speaking with NDC delegates, is also acutely aware that the people of Ghana are interested in what offerings the NDC has for them. And if, therefore, the people of Ghana, who in any event also are constituted by members of the NDC, are interested in what the NDC has to offer, then he must communicate directly to the people of Ghana. And that is what he has done. And then, finally on this question, everybody knows that the elections we are going to have in the NDC is almost a foregone conclusion. I mean, Dr. Dufour's bid for the flag slot of the NDC is a most wild fantasy. Everybody knows that. Dr. Dufour himself knows that. So if that is certain, and everybody knows what the outcome will be, then there's no point wasting time on exchanges that border on this internal contestation. It is important to engage the people of Ghana 
right at the onset, so that they know that we mean business and that the NDC is prepared to step into the breach created by the hopelessness of the Akufuado Baumia tactic. You have not mentioned Kojo Bonsu and the other gentleman who picked the nomination forms. You only mentioned Dr. Kabna Dufour. It means that you don't even regard the other two. Well, it's not about regard for the lack of it. The point is that President Obama is clear in his mind that he stands head and shoulders about any competition that will be offered in this context. What if at the end and of the I day, Dr. That, Kabna Dufour wins in, on May 13? Felix, what are you going well, to do? It will, be, it will be a miracle of biblical proportion if that were to happen. But you and I know that is not going to happen. I'm not part. I'm, Mama, I'm, I'm not part, Felix. Yeah, I don't know. You're on your own. Well, well, I know that you are only being diplomatic and playing the devil's advocate, as you should, given your rules as a moderator or anchor of your station's uh, news program. But I do know that as somebody who has followed Ghana's politics, you are fully aware of what the outcome will be. But President Mama is not different. He's not wasting time. He's not pussyfooting. He is clear on the agenda that must be had to salvage the Ghanaian ship of state, which has been crushed by the Akufuado Baumia tag team. And that is why he delved straight into indicating some of the concrete proposals which mirror the expectations and aspirations of the generality of the people of this country. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Felix Kwachio Fosu. He is deputy, former Deputy Minister of uh, Communication, also uh, spokesperson to the John Mahama campaign. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. When we come back, we'll talk more on the uh, proposal the former president has for the issue of placement into senior high schools. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News With renewed vigor, we will work to restore confidence in all institutions of state so that our people will see their institutions working for them as they should with utmost professionalism and non-interference from political actors. We must, for instance, end the chaos that now characterizes the computerized school selection and placement system for BEC graduates. As a first step to resolve this issue with the computerized placement, we should allow students to only complete their applications for SHS after they have received their BEC results. This will put them in a better position to know what their actual grades are and make them able to match them with the cutoff grades and raw scores of the senior high schools they wish to be admitted to. That's former President John Romani Mahama speaking at the launch of his campaign in Ho today. Uh, Kofi Asari is Executive Director of the Africa Education Watch. Uh, he joins us on the line. Mr. Asari, welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Omaru. I'll ask you to explain for us in detail and in practice how this is going to work. But do you feel you've been plagiarized by the former president, like uh, Richard Ahiagba said a short while ago? Um, well, I haven't. Um, I just heard you play a voice note from the former president. Um, but the work we do at African Education Watch is uh, basically public policy research and advocacy work. And um, we seek to influence policy uh, and practice that affect all I mean, education. And so 
Um, our work is meant for public consumption, and and for that matter, um, if any any authority in the in, in the public interest, you know, uh, takes an idea that we 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 mooted, I don't think it will amount to plagiarism. Apart from that, I'm not sure if we are the only group that have ever raised this issue. Because about four years ago, when I started moderating public engagement sessions on the CSSPS, this this proposal actually came from parents who were realizing, you know, the result of their children. Simply said that if I knew my child was going to get this grade, my child wouldn't have chosen this particular program or this particular school, because by choosing this particular program and this particular school without having an idea about about their grades, they ended up getting the last choice school or perhaps not getting in school at all and going for self-placement. So it was a proposal that came from our public engagement and not, nothing that we created at Edwards. But again, as a public policy organization, our output is meant for public consumption. And so, I mean, um, I don't think any issue of plagiarism arises at all. And we don't, we don't own mm. okay. copyright to that. That's fine. Uh, so, in 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 just in a brief comment, since you made this statement before the former president uh, made same, the practicality of it is that a student who goes to write a BEC will not be made to choose their school like I did when I was doing my choosing many years ago. You would only choose the school you want to go to after seeing your results and knowing the competence of your results. Is that what it means? Exactly, because you see, the school you choose and the program you choose to undertake in that school, okay, um, is incumbent on your, your results. And I'll give you a typical example. During this year's placement, if you are a private school candidate and you obtain aggregate eight and you chose presec category A school to do science, okay, and then you chose let's say, uh, Agri Memorial or National as your second choice to do the same science. And then you chose, let's say, university practice at UCC to do science. It's likely that you will end up at a third choice. Because you are a private school candidate, because you are opting to do science, and because you chose to be a border. Okay, so if you are a parent of such a boy or a girl, you will simply say that, well, if I knew my son wasn't going to get all six, I would have chosen business if I knew my son was going to get 08 or 09. But by the time my son was selecting his choice of school, he never knew that he was going to get anything less than 06. I mean, anything better than 06. And he ended up getting something worse than 06. So that's the whole idea. The whole idea is that if children and parents are empowered with the information they need to make an informed choice in selecting their school, they will make a more realistic choice than making that choice on the basis of no information but only contemplation. 
computer school and you're going to invest. I remember for myself, after A level, I had BBC and I, I wanted to do economics. But then the cutoff for BSc economics at Legon was, was I think BBB. So I did it, that, that six, and I had seven. So I didn't even buy the Legon forms. But the cutoff for social sciences at UCC, which was uh, essentially I could do a comms major, was I think seven. So I bought UCC and I went to UCC. So if you know very well that you don't fulfill the requirement, the cutoff requirement for that particular program in that particular school, you don't waste money buying forms and then wasting your time. You go and then mm. look for the one that qualifies. So it, it, it reduces the pressure on the category A schools. But most importantly, it measures parental expectation because it is when parental expectation is heightened, okay, that it gets to the point where willy-nilly, no matter what happens, parents are ready to pay their way to the system and corrupt the system because they want their children to go to a particular school. Yeah. Because the reality is that if you miss that particular school, Sometimes you end up on your last, I mean, in the last choice school, which is the one you least prefer to go. So that is, that, that, that's why that program came from um, stakeholder engagement, which we facilitated, I think, last year or last two years. Very well. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Kofi Asari. He's executive director of the Africa Education Watch. Let's go to Parliament now. This issue of the new CI that EC intends to lay has been controversial. The key issue has to do with the Ghana card as a sole document. Today, uh, the majority leader, Minister of Parliamentary Affairs, uh, called journalists and said to them that um, the issue is a non-starter, that Ghanaians will be disenfranchised. Listen to him. The performance of the functions does not necessarily mean that you are eternally adding to. You subtract from, sanitize it. What are subtracting or sanitizing it? And the process of also improving the establishment of your citizenship, you are improving and sanitizing and cleaning the system. That should be understood by everybody. So it's not just merely adding to the list, which is the function of the electoral commission. So the question to ask is, so when the baptismal certificate was taken off, did it serve as a restraint on citizens' right to register the vote? Is that the case? When driver's license was taken off, it served as a restraint on citizens' right to register the vote. Is that the case? When birth certificate was taken off, that was also a restraint. Is that the understanding of our colleagues? When health insurance was struck down by the Supreme Court, that also amounted to a restraint on the right of citizens to vote. When passport is taken off, does it amount to that? There are many more... Ghanaians, once you understand, there are many more Ghanaians with baptismal certificates than there are with passports. There are many more Ghanaians with birth certificates than there are with passports. So that's Osechime Sabonsu, he's majority leader and minister of parliamentary affairs. Essentially, he's saying that Ghanaians will not be disenfranchised. One of the people who took issue with what the EC was planning to put before the House is the Mboku Central Member of Parliament. He's a lawyer himself. He thought that there were challenges with presenting the Ghana card as a sole source document for registering for the Ghana for the voter card. He's joined us on the line now. Honorable Mahama Yariga, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Are you convinced by your leader now that everything would be fine? Just let it go through? Well, I mean, if I had no doubt that they don't have a case, I think that he has strengthened my convictions. 
Because listening to them, I don't think he makes any sound argument why we should take out the guarantors. That is really the issue. The EC, as it is now in their current legislation, CI 126, uh, uh, makes provision for the use of um, the Ghana card as one of the the means of establishing your citizenship, but then also provides that we could also use guarantor system. That's if you add CI 91 and then uh, 126. Now, they've come to us saying, oh, we want to take out the guarantor system. And we ask them, why do you want to take out the guarantor system? So it's subject to abuse. The last time, you know, they discovered that about 40,000 uh, children who are not of age got on the register, but they discovered it and they deleted it. The fact that you discovered it and deleted it means that the current system works. So if somebody who is not entitled to be there gets on it, there's a mechanism for discovering it and deleting it. Now, beyond that, you say, oh, the guarantor system is the reason why they managed to get on it. So you want to remove the guarantor system and restrict yourself to only the Ghana card. And then we point out to you that, oh, but the person issuing the Ghana card also uses a guarantor system to issue the same Ghana card which you are going to rely on. So why are you abandoning your guarantor system and going to use a document which is also founded on the guarantor system? The EC had no answer except to tell us that the guarantor system of the NIA is more robust. We said, okay, no problem. Then bring us a proposal to adopt the more robust guarantor system of the National Identification Authority so that you will use that guarantor system since you have confidence in that one as more robust and the reason why you will use their card if somebody comes and that is guaranteed for under their system but you will not issue a voter ID card to another person who comes and uses your guarantor system. I mean, what else could anybody have offered the issue? You yourself say that the NIA guarantor system is more robust. We say, okay, fine, then use that one. Bring us a proposal to, to use the NIA guarantor system also where the person doesn't have a Ghana card. In any case, why are you seeking to make it the sole source document? Why you yourself told us that in the last registration exercise, 10 million people brought Ghana cards and used that as means of identification to be registered as voters. We all know that any Ghanaian who is desirous of registering to vote, if the person has a Ghana card, that is what they will first present to the EC to be registered. It is when they don't have it that they are compelled to adopt alternative mechanisms which is the guarantor system. So we're arguing that don't make it the sole source document. Rather, let's all focus on the NIA being able to cover everybody. And if they cover everybody, indeed, mm. those covered will go with their Ghana cards. Very well. Because they need the Ghana card, not just for voter registration. They need Ghana card for even daily, daily activities going to the bank, going to insurance company, insuring their cars, obtaining a driver's license, registering a company, getting a taxi number. They need the Ghana card 
for things that are more important to them than even possessing a voter registration card. So let's just focus on getting them the Ghana card. And they themselves will yeah. resort to the use of that one when they decide that they want to be registered to vote. And then you will not have disenfranchised people. And this proposal coincides with a second proposal, which is that we're going to start a continuous registration exercise. And because of that, we are not going to go out and do limited registration exercise as we have done in the past. We're going to sit in our office and then we'll ask them to come to our office and come and be registered to vote. And we said, look, if you combine the effect of saying that they must first go to NIA and get their card first, and then after that, they will now come to your office and then be registered. These two measures put together at the same time will effectively disenfranchise many people, especially people who live a distance from their communities to the, the district NIA office and the district electoral commission office. And we gave examples. I mean, Bole Bamboy, we have a large police station that is about 80 kilometers, some even say 85 kilometers away from the district electoral commission office. So we're saying that somebody like this, and most likely the district NIA office is also going to be located in the district capital. So somebody, an 80-year-old young man who has just turned 18, or an 80-year-old yeah, young lady who has just turned 18 and is desirous of being registered to vote, will first have to travel 80-something kilometers to the district capital to obtain a Ghana card. And if they are lucky, you know, they will travel once. In most cases, they will travel several times before they will even obtain the Ghana card. Even yeah. when their biometric data have been taken, mm. they'll be told to go and come. The card itself is not ready because under this arrangement, the card is going to be printed in Accra and now be distributed to the regions who will now further distribute it to the districts, which will be 85 kilometers away from this young man or young lady is, is, is located. And then after they've gone through the hassle of getting this Ghana card before they can now come to the district office again because you won't reach out to them. You are going to sit in your office because of continuous registration so that they will come to your office. We're saying that if you introduce these two measures at the same time in the same CI preceding the same election, which is the district assembly election, which is taking place in eight, in, in about uh, seven or whatever months' time, you are going to effectively disenfranchise people. Very well. Then I'm, they bring I'm, a I'm, finance I'm, minister. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, Honorable, I, but, but forgive me. Can, can we, let, let's end it here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Boku Central Member of Parliament, Renoble Mahama uh, Yariga. Um, up next, on point blank, we have the immediate past rector of the Ghana Institute of Journalism, Dr. Jisa. He was in court after he was removed somewhere in 2018 from the office uh, of Office of Rector of GIJ. He thought that there was no case against him. He was just removed for reasons best known to those who removed him. He went to court and the court has decided in his favor. We'll be talking to him shortly about the success story for him and the way forward. But before then, Nashika will be bringing us more from the business desk of 97.3 CTFM and City TV. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. It's time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Siza. The details. Government is urging industries operating within the Ghanaian business space to make conscious efforts to direct their activities towards a green, sustainable economy. 
Government maintains that this will help mitigate the challenges which negatively impact on the ecosystem. Speaking at the Secular Economy Seminar in Accra, the Minister of Environment, Science, Technology and Innovation, Dr. Kwekwifi, underscored the need for a sustainable working environment. Industry sustainability, which undermines or underpins the country's economy, depends on the ability to adopt circularity principles, practices and processes to deliver products that render ourselves or themselves to reuse, repurposing and recycling. This will foster the elimination of waste and minimize environmental degradation. Indeed, government believes that the survival of industry companies will have to invest the use of green technologies and adopt circularity to deliver green source solutions. Finally, sustainability also requires human-centered approaches to business. The principles of gender equity and inclusivity must exist as a strong pillar in the hiring and promotion of staff within these business organizations, not just at the base of the pyramid, but throughout the hierarchy of the industrial, this industrial organization. This must certainly be true at the top of the echelons of our business organizations. Dr. Kwekwefuye is, is Minister of Environment, Science, Technology and Innovation. Women on the Development Bank Ghana DGB has indicated that it will invest an amount of $700 million into agricultural sector to help boost the industry. Low productivity, limited access to finance and unfavorable trade policy are some of the challenges facing the agricultural sector. Speaking to journalists in Accra today, the deputy CEO of the Development Bank Ghana, Michael Mensaba, says his outfit is ready to facilitate financing to farmers in order to overcome some of these bottlenecks to boost the country's agricultural sector and end over-dependence on importation. We have access to almost $700 million and we believe that um, we have sufficient capital to at least start the journey the, the funding gap that we see in agriculture is significant, but we believe that um, what we have is, is enough to start that journey um, of providing the funding that we need to um, support that, that, that sector. In addition to that, we've always stated that we also want to act as a catalyst, which is we don't uh, aim to do everything on our own, but we aim to bring all these various stakeholders who are also interested. So for example, this morning we had a MasterCard Foundation here and they have committed that once we are able to do our work and de-risk the market and create the enabling environment that will attract funding. So the work alone is not about just how much have we given out, but it's also identifying the problem and making sure that the funding is used in the right way and also attracting additional funding for the other stakeholders who are also interested in supporting the agriculture sector. That was the Deputy CEO of the Development Bank Ghana, Michael Mensaba.
Finally, Telesol Group is assuring its customers in Ghana of quality services as it works to begin operations in the country. This comes as the company completed the acquisition of 70% majority shares in Vodafone Ghana after successfully obtaining all the necessary regulatory approvals, including the agreement of the government of Ghana as a minority shareholder. Telesol is an Africa-focused telecommunications company with a brand founded in 1986, operating primarily in Africa and converging telecommunication with fintech, e-commerce and tech startups. Speaking to City Business News, the board chairman of the Telesol Group, Nicholas Berg, expressed excitement at entering the Ghanaian market. Well, we consider ourselves as a smaller company than, than what you have here. So we have clearly a challenge to, uh, to create our name and build our brand name uh, with quality service and, and certainly uh, understand the needs of the clients and the, and the customer base. Uh, we know that young users are very important for uh, our market. So we plan to understand clearly what's the need today. That's the board chairman of Telesol Group, Nicholas Berg. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandamaru. Tonight on Point Blank, my former rector at the Ghana Institute of Journalism, Dr. Wilberforce Sefako Jisa, is my guest. The reason we have him in studio is that in 2018, he was removed as rector of the Institute. Doc, you're welcome to Point Blank on Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Umaru. How are you doing? Very well. It's good to see you. I'm just looking at the story as published on Graphic Online in 2018 by Enoch Dafab and it says, Dismissed GI Director Jisa serves notice to go to court. The story says the dismissed rector of the Ghana Institute of Journalism, Dr. Wilberforce Jisa, has indicated his readiness to challenge the decision of the governing council in court. Dr. Jisa, who was to complete his four-year tenure, in August 2018, was presented with a letter dated Friday, March 23, 2018, announcing the termination of his appointment. He was initially ordered to proceed on leave over, allegation of, over alleged infractions in procurement practices and allegations of academic integrity in December 2017. And then you have been quoted here saying that uh, you do not agree with what has happened. Meanwhile, the registrar of the school, Mr. Perry Ofosu, who was ordered by the council to also proceed on leave, has been demoted. Mr. Fosu is expected to resume work as Deputy Registrar and report to his assistant, Mrs. Patience Soa, who has been made Acting Registrar. Already, Acting Deputy Director Dr. Ebo Afo has been removed and, and directed to revert to his previous position as the Head of Journalism Department. So this is when and how you decided to go to court. Share with us more on, on how this came about. Thanks to your listeners, Umaru. Uh, Happy to meet you. Um, it's been a while. Uh, it all started sometime around September, October 2017, 
when the governing council was constituted, led by Professor Ansu Chairman, with others as uh, Margaret Amokohini, Dr. Kweku Roxon, and others from institutional reps from um, Media Commission, or that's the yeah, Media Commission, which is supposed to be EJ, but there were a lot of things that happened that I wouldn't have the time to go into this evening. Mm -hmm. um, when a council was put in place, the first thing they did was to call for a meeting. Uh, we had, as, as rector, we had asked that we hold an emergency meeting because there were pending students who were supposed to graduate. And uh, because of the delay in the co uh, constitution of the council, uh, there was this agitation even among those students who were actually uh, supposed to graduate. So we asked that once the council was put in place, we should quickly deal with that. And that happened. Then the formal, the normal general ordinary meeting of the board or the council was to take place in October. At that meeting, we had a letter from the chairman of the council, Professor Sutremer, who stated that they would like to meet senior members, senior staff, and junior staff. And so when they came for the meeting, they then stated that in terms of meeting the senior members, if you go by the GIG statutes, I am the chairman of convocation and said I wouldn't be part of that meeting. The registrar would not be part of the meeting and my deputy, then the acting deputy director, Dr. Boafu, will also not be part of the meeting. I, it, I found that very curious, but decided, well, there is no point. Since they want to interact with them, that is fine. So they spent the whole day meeting all these groups. The outcome of that, based on what my some of the staff told me, was that they were told that they should put their grievances about what management management is doing on paper and present it to them. The next meeting was sometime in December, around 18, 18, 16, 18 between 16 and 18 December. 2017. You know, 2017. And at that meeting, after I presented my report, where I told them that we have pending projects to complete, particularly the new site at Novjolu, where uh, through some uh, financial models that I, I, I developed, we were using some IGF to actually keep the project ongoing, go to about 85% completion rate, and that the contractors were on our neck because GetFund was not meeting, actually uh, meeting their obligations to us. So we normally pre-finance and then they will reimburse. So I told the council that as at the time, that we had that first official meeting, meeting. I said, we had, I had actually managed to accumulate about 7.8 million Ghana cities in the GIJ account, and that we could use it if council actually could direct, agree that we could use it to even complete that structure so that we can put it to use. At the tail end of the meeting was the chairman who now said he had received petitions 
from some staff and that uh, they will like to set up a committee to go into their those petitions. So it'd be good for me to take my leave, to take some leave, my annual leave. And I said, if you have received petitions in the first place, the best management and administrative practice for so-called council would be first to meet management. This did not take place. So already I knew that the nights were out. Something fishy was going on. I do not want to go into certain details because luckily the court has vindicated me. Mm. So I said, if somebody alleges, you must give me also the opportunity because the Latin word primus inter, you know, there must be or the authoritarian pattern rule must mm. apply. Mm. And said, well, they will form a committee or rather. So I knew that their minds were made up. So I, we agreed that I would take some three weeks leave or one month leave and then return because we're going into the uh, Christmas festivities. And so I will return by the end of January. Whilst on leave, they wrote that I should meet an investigative body headed by uh, Dr. Margaret Amoko I, I learned he's now being promoted to an associate professor mm. uh, proud to her retirement. So I then informed my lawyers because having said that petitions written against me because I had earlier received on sometime January, uh, sometime January or March 2017, I had received a call from the then Minister of Education, Dr. Matthew Puku Prempre, uh, claiming that he had received some calls that I was engaging in some procurement uh, activities. And I said, where? Judge is a very small place. And luckily you happen to be an old student, an alumnus of the school. So mm -hmm. what kind of procurement, uh, and at, at what is the magnitude of the kind of procurement that maybe he probably was talking about? So. I just brush it aside. Then later, I got an anonymous petition brought that I should respond from the Minister of Education that I should respond within 48 hours. So I responded. And that was the end of the matter. I have not heard from the ministry. I had traveled to the University of Westminster, my former where I did my former school, where I actually did my PhD, to make an arrangement for a kind of memorandum of understanding between uh, you know, the, our GIJ and Westminster to ensure that some of our staff could take advantage of the PhD program so that we can upgrade staff. And when I went, was there, particularly on a, trying to uh, ensure that one of our lecturers, you know, members get admission. Those very people were here planting stories in the newspapers, anonymous stories that I had taken money and traveled and all that. So that's just part of. So yeah. I knew that there was a small group within that trying to, maybe I don't know whether for partisan interests or for their own, maybe some other interests that I cannot actually explain. So that, that that's the 
nature of things at the time. So when, when, when were you formally asked to leave and what was the condition? Were you sacked? Or so you were so I, to, to, to put this in perspective, I made an investigative body. I have informed my lawyer, Professor Rebona Tukuba, and so he, he came over with uh, one of his junior partners. So we went for the meeting and to our surprise, Margaret Mokweni said, this is an in-house matter and that she wasn't going to allow my lawyers to sit in that meeting. After some back and forth, I told my lawyers to go and that I would sit in. So I sat in and we spent about 45 minutes and I, I speak to you. They never asked a single question about any procurement infraction. What did they ask about? Issues about staff, why somebody, for example, was not given the opportunity to go and do a PhD, funded to do a PhD. And this particular lecturer had applied to a university. Normally, when you apply, we write to NCT or National Accreditation Board then to verify whether the school is accredited. And they wrote back to say that this school was not accredited. So we informed the lecturer concerned about this. But then these were the questions that they were asking. I see probably you have something against it. The second one was what I was talking about. That particular lecturer was the one that I was in Westminster. He had applied severally and he was not given admission. And I had to go in there, talk to the people because I've been there and told them that we we're going to back him to do it. So on the basis of that, the dean assured me that within the period that I was there, they had prepared and granted him that mission. But this is one of the people who were sitting down here writing anonymous letters. So these were the issues that were put to you by yeah. this and the committee. So after that, did they come up with a report, a finding, and ask you to comment on it or anything? Did they find Nothing. you culpable in any way? Nothing. I was supposed to report back to work on the 1st of February. And so, after that charade of a meeting, so-called investigative meeting, they then quickly met, the council met, I think, on the eve of my return to work, and then quickly said that my annual leave, has, they've granted me annual leave to go for about three months. That's 60 days. That's 60 days. Okay, then that'll be that two months. Whilst they, that they have not concluded their investigations. So by my calculation, I will have to return to work first week in April. Mm -hmm. So by 23rd, that's 23rd, it was a Friday, 23rd of March, I got a letter from the Institute saying that my appointment has been terminated and that I'll be paid three months in lieu of my termination notice. And this was signed by who? By Professor Ansu Ansu Chairman. As it no, was the registrar, the acting registrar, who signed the letter that she was directed to do so. So when I got a letter, I informed, duly informed my lawyers about it because one, I was appointed for a fixed term of four years. The statute is very clear on that. If you look at the GIJ statutes, 6.2 is very clear on that. And even my appointment letter states clearly that shall be for four years, 
renewable based that one is based on satisfactory performance and, and the law does not grant that if there's any error or problem in the middle that you can be removed or there's a procedure which procedure was not followed if you look at even the conditions of service for senior members mm. it even states that to remove a senior member you have to self give the person six months notice so and you are above senior because you are rector. I am director. I'm a senior member first and foremost mm. from a faculty. Before the advert came, I was a deputy rector, and then I applied, and then I was successful and appointed as rector. So that's how you became rector. That was how I became rector. You, you applied. I applied and was went. advertised, and I went and made a. Well, I remember you committee. were at the time vice rector to yes. Mr. Newton. Yes, and then he retired. So you advertised and you were you were you were chosen. So that's how you became. So. The removal procedure was not followed. Not followed at all. Complete breach of the statutes and even the Act 717 that established the GIJ. So I looked at it and I decided, consulted my lawyers and said, look, we have to take action on this. Then the funny part was that one week notice, flagrant violation and breach of the laws of this country. Then I said, well, I will seek redress in court. Because in April, they had paid salary into my account. Because of this, I did not even touch it. First week in May, I had a call from my banker saying they had expressed instruction from my employer to return the money to chest. So even the issue of the treatments salary in lieu of notice was not honored. So we proceed by lawyers, send them a demand notice to reverse whatever decision they had taken. They had, they did not even dignify the demand notice to them to reverse the decision. When you went to court, did they appear to put in a response? Did they argue at their case or they just left you to go alone? They responded. They filed a witness statement okay. signed by the chairman of council, Professor Suchrame. And they appeared and gave they appeared, they appeared. I went through the cross-examination by their lawyer. And then when I was done, it took almost two years for their lawyer to finish the cross-examination. Because if you look at their statement, their defense witness statement, you can see clearly that they just came to court to fish for information. They have no, they have, they are not standing on any solid ground. On the basis of that, when I had finished my testimony before the court in terms of by cross examination, Professor Switchrame entered the dock. Our lawyers spent technically just about three, two, two and a half days to do their cross examination. It was glaring. He was asked in open court if he had any report indicting the plaintiff. That's me. Mm-hmm. And the first response was, well, there was some report, but that was not the... No, there was not. They said, do you have any report before this court indicting the plaintiff? No. So, that the council just decided, for the sake of the institute, they have decided that we should separate. So, it's not based on any legal reasoning, no law, 
and a flagrant violation and breach of the statutes and Act 717. That was his defense. His defense was that Jesus wanted to get rid of you. Yes, that, N- yeah, they because... just, yes, they have decided to separate. He was using the word separate. And they removed you. That I was. Way. I was. So, so, how long did this court case last for? We initiated the action sometime in uh, May 2018. It went before technical. There was first it was a lady, a lady judge who was transferred. Then the second one, just as we were about after they've gone through the case management, she was also transferred. So, so since you, 2018 till now. Till now. And when did you get judgment? I got judgment Wednesday, 22nd February. Last week. Last Wednesday. Week, Wednesday. Okay. So we we need to go. But key things that the judgment said. It, did he say that you, sh- you show your position be reversed, or you didn't ask for your position to be reversed? I had five months at the time to complete my first term. So okay. when we were going to court, we did not go for reinstatement. So you are saying that what should be given to you by the? I think you, I saw somewhere that you asked for 25 million cities. That was the demand notice. Okay. But then, when we went to court, the reliefs, greater part of my reliefs were actually granted granted by the court. Key ones being what? First and foremost, you pay me five months salary, all the allowances that are due me, and that is for five years. So you pay that at the current prevailing bank rate, which I believe is around 25%. Mm -hmm. So you pay that. The you pay me, I was acting director of the graduate school from 2013, if you recall, if you know the history mm-hmm. of the graduate school mm-hmm. that I brought into fruition yeah. and actually steered it. So pay you for and that. And then pay me for that for 2013 to 2017 and pay interest at the current prevailing from tw- the time of termination till date. That is the time of the judgment. That is also to be done. Mm-hmm. And then there were there was some responsibility allowances that were due me which were withheld because i don't know for whatever reason my research and book allowance was withheld and a few other allowances that were withheld so all those things because said all these should be paid should be paid to me there was also interest. a fine to the school itself Twenty-five thousand ghana cities so that's not to you that's to the state no it comes to me because that's part of the legal costs. Okay, so you pay, you're supposed to be paid 25,000 yes, I, I will take that one as well. Legal and then you also pay me six months uh, for wrongful termination as well. Six months. The court also granted me six months salary. This is what the judge said. Yes. It's final unless they appeal. We, we, have they appealed? I wouldn't. I, I'm not aware of that. I'm not aware. But I'm ready. If they want to go and appeal, I'm ready. I've gone the long haul already. Why do you think you were removed then if there was no reason? Was it political or was it something else? I am restrained on the basis that what I saw was that, for example, I will say it here, that, for example, if, if you take, if you cannot connect politics, then there must be something else. For example, Dr. Kweku Roxon was a former rector, acting rector of GIJ. Mm. He was on retirement. He had applied to us to fund, to help fund his PhD whilst he was on retirement, was at UPSA. And he was actually trying to use the back door to get an official, an officer of the school to actually give him a letter to take to get fund. And then this came to a said, look, you should write formally. You're on retirement, how are we going to justify this before auditors? We can't do that. 
And there were a few other things that I'm sure that the proprietor, when I have time, mm. some of these things will put them out. You were removed not alone. You were removed alongside Dr. Abuafo, who was vice rector. He taught me print journalism. Um, Perry Fosu was registrar. He was also sacked. Um, not sacked. He was demoted. Did they also join you in court? They didn't. So you went alone? Yes, but I don't know what plans they have. But for example, if you look at the, the illegality, you know, show of power and political power maybe because they were appointed by the political authority, whether by their own power, by a kind of arrogance with which Peria Periofusu was appointed by virtue of an advert as a registrar. So it was appointment, not promotion. On what basis are you demoting him? You have not set any reason for doing that. And I thought that that was also unlawful. We need to go. But what lesson do you think should be learned from this in terms of people who serve in public office like yourselves who get removed? I mean, GIJ has a history. I came to GIJ in 2008, but before then I knew that David Newton had been removed in 2001 as rector. Kweku Roxin was acting throughout. I was admitted under Kweku Roxin. And when the NDC, MPP lost power, and NDC came in 2009, I remember Newton was brought back, and Kweku Roxin went back to the staff common room. In fact, we were told that GIG was a political institution. Do you agree, and what do you think should be done about this? Educational institutions are not political battle zones. Universities are governed by statutes, and we should keep politics out of our educational institutions. I disagree completely, but I just want to say to your listeners that in all these, I've always remembered one particular Bible biblical verse, Psalm 91, 1 to 3. If you allow me to say that, and for those who stood by me, particularly my wife, my siblings, my family, close friends, well-wishers, I said they should always remember that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, and that he will cover you with his pinions. I stood by that. The Lord had my petitions, as you can find in Psalm 20, verse 5, mm. in that, at the end, victory was my portion. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Thank and have a good too. night, Doc. Thank you, too. So that's Dr. Weber for Sefa Kodjisa, former rector of the Ghana Institute of Journalism. He went to court after he was removed. He believed he was wrong. The court has affirmed his position and uh, granted judgment in his favor. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. Produced by Beverly London and Wilson uh, Kobna. Technical support from Daniel Squash and new media support from Edwin Kwakofi. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening and good night.
our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.